0: Hey, thank you very much to the Rav, to the community, to everyone. It's always a pleasure to come here to Modin, to this beautiful shul. Um, as the Rav said, uh, Tisha B'Av is something that I think really over time people have been paying more attention to trying to learn about. When I was a kid, so Tisha B'av was just this day you tried to get through and occupy yourself and think about what you were going to eat afterwards. And uh, then it was actually an optometrist in Brooklyn who came up with the idea of, why don't we have Shurim all day? Well, really, before him was Rav Soloveitchik in Boston. He was really the first. He spoke nearly all day on the Kinnis. Actually went there a few times, even though I was too young to appreciate it, but there was really nothing else to do. And it was kind of interesting to see. I do remember a few things of it. And uh, perhaps it's a sign of the fact that are getting close to the end of this gullus that we are paying more attention before, during, and after Tisha to see what it's about, what this period of time is, and that'll help us figure out what we're supposed to be doing as a nation. I pointed out recently in a I Alex probably heard it, that um, we tend to absorb the narrative of the Christian countries that so many of us lived in as to what happened to the Jews as to how Jews gone into exile. And it's there in very subtle ways, it's even there in the language. For example, I don't know how many people here are gardeners, there's a plant called the wandering Jew. Okay, it's a plant that if you plant it in your garden, it just kind of spreads and wanders all over the place. Now the word wandering has an interesting connotation. A person who is wandering is not going anywhere. They're simply going around and around. In the Christian narrative, so the Jews were rejected because they didn't accept their version of the Messiah. And therefore, we were condemned to wander the world in our suffering. That picture, that idea of the galut, of exile, is very different than ours. The Tzvacema says the word galut comes from the word l It's supposed to be revealing something. Even the way they describe the kotel, Right, At least it used to be that way in the old postcards your relatives would bring back to you. They'd have a picture and underneath it would say the Wailing Wall. Now, wailing is a very specific type of crying. It's a cry of despair and hopelessness. It's a cry when something is gone and it's not coming back. Uh, Imagine when I was a kid, there used to be an ad for Chivas Regal Scotch. And it was a picture of a broken bottle on the floor and a puddle of Scotch. And uh, the slogan was, some things can make a grown man cry. Okay, (laughs) you have the broken bottle of scotch, it's there, you know, on the floor. It's lost, it's gone, you wail. Our bechi, our crying is very different. Our crying comes from the ability to reach something which exists in the future that's hard to get to. We're trying to connect to it, we're longing for it, like we say in Echa. Right? Any, any, your my eyes pour down water. Because far away from me is that consolation that can bring my life back to me. But far away doesn't mean not here. Okay? And that has to do with what and how we're going through this entire period called Galut. Now, I remember at the Pesach here, somebody called out an objection when I mentioned the word galut, because here we are in Eretz Yisrael, Or HaShem, right? So what are we talking about galut? Is this only for the broadcast to the people that live in Cape Town or such? No, it's um, part of what we're going to see is there are stages upon stages upon stages. But Am Yisrael have to realize what our destiny is and not to sell it short. We can be thankful for everything that we get, every ability that we have, some of the Rishonim say in the Seder, when we say, this year we're here, the next year we can be in Eretz Yisrael, I think it was the Ritvos said that we can go to Eretz Yisrael, at least we have that. During the seven years of Bavel, no Jew was able to go from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael. Here, he was speaking in the Middle Ages, it's possible to go to Eretz Yisrael and you have to be thankful for that. Nonetheless, there's still much more to go. So let's look at an interesting Gemara about a very unique way that one of the Chachamin commemorated the idea of the mourning and the longing for Eretz Yisrael, the Beis HaMikdash. The Gemara in Baba Kama. There was someone called Elozer Ze'ira, which translates into English as Little Elozer. Now, this Rukhain Friedlander, who quotes this um, Gemara, points out that when someone gets the nickname Small, that's actually praising his modesty. Another famous one like that was Shmuel HaKatan, who wrote the Shmonasveh. And this is going to be a little bit confusing as the story goes on. So Olazi era was wearing black shoes, okay? Now, the black shoes, the first thing we talked about was, were the shoes black, were the laces black? It was something that was not what everybody else wore. It was something that stood out in its blackness. But he was in the marketplace in the big city of narda in Bavel, in Babylon, askechu de veiresh galusa. Now it's fascinating. In Bavel, in Babylonia, so the Jews had a somewhat independent government of their own. The reish galusa, the head of the exile, or in fancy English, they call him the exilarch, had a certain amount of power over the Jewish community, and he had kind of a local police force from within the Jewish community. So they were called the Beirish Galusa, the people of the Reish Galusa's house, and they pulled over Elazar Zahira and they said to him, "Maishno Hani What's with those weird shoes?" So Elazar Zihira answered them. He said, come Ma'vilna Yushalayim. I'm mourning the destruction of Yushalayim. That's why I'm wearing these shoes." And then they asked him, they said, Are you really on the level to be mourning Yerushalayim? Right? They felt that he was being arrogant. And he said, He says, I'm a big person. I can do this. And then they went on. They asked him, how do we know that you're a big person? And he said, ask me some questions. And they asked him questions in Torah. And he answered them. And they let him go with his black shoes. A very strange gumara. First of all, let's just clear up, before we get into the essence of the Gemara, why it should bother these fashion police, so to speak, that he's wearing the black shoes. right? If a person wants to mourn the korban with some black shoes, why would they have a problem? So, R. Friedlander says that this just shows, because this is showing us that a person really has to be on a certain level to feel pain and express pain over the loss of Yerushalayim. Okay, one of the things it says in many stories that we ourselves, when we're having a hard time mourning on Tisha B'av, so they say mourn for the fact that you're having a hard time mourning. It's very difficult to do. And we find in the Poskim it says even the Talmidei Chachamim are supposed to show extra mourning on Tisha B'av because they're expected through their absorption of Torah to be more sensitive to it and to have that sense. So it's dangerous to have a person wandering around doing things that are designated for people of a certain level, if he's not on that level. And that's what they were checking. Okay, but the big question is, why out of all things did he choose to express his mourning with black shoes? Okay, black we can understand because the idea of choshech of darkness is one of the big themes we find in Megillah Seicha. But why not a black armband? Why not a black lapel pin? Why the shoes? So this takes us into the world of shoes. Apostle Mayofu pa'amayich olim bas nadiv. How beautiful are the Jews in shoes. Okay, now taking the words more literally. How beautiful are your footsteps in your shoes bas nadiv, daughter of the giving one. Rashi in the Mitzvot is this. refers to Avram Avinu. Avramavinu is the Nadiv, the giving one. You can, why are they describing the beauty of them in their shoes? What's particularly beautiful about it? So Rashi explains that this is describing the Jews when they went on Aliyah Larega. Okay, that was a particularly beautiful thing to see. In the narrative, as Rashi explains it here, the nations of the world are trying to entice that... Daughter who represents Am Yisrael to come join them. And they're trying to flatter her by the beauty that they saw in her. Right? It uh, it's begins, Shuvi, 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 Come, let us see you. And then they say, Mayofu, bas How beautiful are your footsteps in your shoes, you daughter of Avromavin. Right? Why shoes? What? So, I heard from Yannis and David Schlita, he said, let's get down to the basic bottom line of shoes. When do we wear shoes? Right? They can be fashion. They can be, but the basic function of shoes are for when we are walking, traveling, going, right? At a certain stage in life, my teenage daughters, I would know they came home because, like, the door would open and two shoes would fly across the room, right? So (laughs) i know that there's a girl coming behind them into the house, Right? but shoes are there. You need them to protect your feet when you're going, when you're traveling. Now, it's true. The idea that you take off your shoes when you're home is going to be very important. Where is a place that Jews were mandated to take off their shoes? Harabayat, the of Mikdash. Okay, but in Aliyah Laregal, Jews are traveling in their shoes. So now let's take a look at what's beautiful about traveling especially that traveling of Aliyah Laregel. Sometimes people came from different parts in Eretz Yisrael. Sometimes people came on Aliyah Laregel from Chutzlaretz. We had already in the time of Bayit Sheni, Jews living in Syria, Jews living in other places. They came a long way. What was so beautiful about the traveling? A few weeks back in Parshat Baalotcha, we had the psukim that we always say before opening the Arn Kurdish. Bayi bin Soa it describes how the Jews would travel in the desert. The Aaron would travel, and when the Aaron traveled, Vayomer Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Kuma Hashem, rise up, Hashem. let your enemies be scattered from you. let those who hate you run away from you." It's a nice tefillah. We could always use that. Why particularly when the Aaron is traveling? So the explanation is based on another aspect of Aliyah l'Rekel. It's hard for us to think about the reality of Aliyah l'Rekel, of how that would look if on Pesach, on Sukkot, on Shurus, everybody goes up to Yushalayim. A fascinating phenomenon. I believe that if a person owns a home in Yushalayim, it becomes a free-for-all. Anybody can sleep there, right? A family of 12 from Dimona knocks on the door with their sleeping bags, we're in, right, for the holiday. And the people would come from all over. Now, the Torah already preempted a worry that we would have. Wait a second. We're living in the Middle East. You look at the map. There's little Israel surrounded by many, many countries, none of whom throughout history were really our good friends. So if everybody packs out to Jerusalem, what's happening at our borders? Right? What's going to stop them from taking our land? So the Torah gives a promise. It said, Nobody will, the word lachmod, they always translate as covet. Nobody will covet your land when you go up to the Besamikdash. HaMikdash. Now, again, and David spoke about that strange choice of word, they won't covet your land. They covet, again, it's a complicated term, lachmod. Let's take it at its most basic meaning, to desire to want something that you have. I said, why does the Torah give us the most practical description and say no one will take your land? That's what we're worried about. It would always be more amusing if all the nations around us really wanted our land and God supernaturally prevented them from taking it. That would be great. What is this idea that they won't be chomed? So we have to go back to the source of that Lutachmod, which is in Aseret HaTibrot, in the Ten Commandments. Lotachmod, to not covet someone's possessions is a very hard thing to command a person to do. The Rishonim wrestle with this. Because let's think, my neighbor has, he just bought a certain item and I really want it. And then I tell myself, oh no, you shouldn't want it. The Torah says Lotachmod. It's too late. I already did it. By the time I notice that I did it, it's already done. How can I control it? It's almost an involuntary thought that comes to my mind. It's, it's a good thing to stop it afterwards, but how can I stop it from starting? The Ibn Ezra has a fascinating approach to this, which Americans have a very difficult time with, right? Michael, the English might be able to get it. Um, it has to do with royalty. He gives the following image, scenario, parable. The king is going out on parade in his royal chariot, and standing next to him is his daughter, the royal princess and the royal princess is beautiful, and she's wearing her princess gown, and she has her princess tiara, and she's doing the princess wave. And he says, standing in the crowd, watching the king on parade, is some, let's translate as a country bumpkin. And right? some, whatever, you know, some kind of farmer out from someplace or other who managed to come into the big city. He's watching this. The Ibn Ezra says, as beautiful as the princess is, that country bumpkin will feel no desire for her whatsoever. Why? She's a royal. There's no connection between them. There's, there's nothing. She's from a different world. He, he wouldn't even think of wanting her. This is where Americans break down and say, why not? Get me your phone number. I don't care. You know, but you know, this understanding, this sense of royalty, which is there, says that Ibn Ezra, what you have to get yourself used to doing is to feel that anything that belongs to anyone else is like that royal princess to the country bumpkin it has nothing to do with you it's from another world if you were meant to have it it would be in your world if you can buy one like it go ahead go to the store buy one like it if it belongs to someone else it's totally in another planet that's his beautiful approach to it now when we plug this back into the promise that when you go up on all the other regeloyah mutishatzarqa you know why because, you are so beautiful. When you go on Aliyah regel you achieve what it says in the Amila elyona. you become a different type of person. No one would even think of taking your land. That is the beauty of the Jews traveling on Aliyah regel in their shoes. The question is why? why would a person be more beautiful traveling someplace than when they're there? In other words, if the nations of the world wanted to praise the beauty of the Jewish people on their holidays, you would kind of focus on when everybody arrived from their journey, what it was like in the Beit HaMikdash. Josephus, he has a very detailed description of what Pesach was like in the Beit HaMikdash. It was amazing. It doesn't talk about that. It talks about the traffic. The Maral explains a fascinating thing. He says that when you're traveling, you are oftentimes more connected to your destination than when you're actually there, okay? This is an interesting thing to think about, but it's really true, All right? In other words, let's say, you know, I said, you know, we're going to have a little raffle at the end of this year, and one person's going to get a, you know, a free plane ticket to South Africa. I heard the South African celebrity in South African tonight, right? And the rabbi, you'll get a free round trip. To south africa but the plane leaves at midnight okay so i pick the name out of the hat and somebody goes and they start running they meet a friend in the street outside the show they say where are you going I say i'm going to south africa uh how are you going to south africa you're walking through modin no no i'm going to my house your house is south africa no no i'm going to pack my suitcase and, and so then i'm going to go to lud to ben-gurion that's not south africa either nah that person sees south africa in their house that person sees, let's say, their parents' house. They see their friends. They see everything. When they're traveling, they're so focused on it, even more than when they're there. If you meet the person when they're over there, you say, where are you? I'm here. Yeah, but where's here? I don't know. you know, <laughs> right here. You're not <laughs> focusing on that experience on the South Africa and everything you're yearning for at that time. So when Am Yisrael traveled, when it was vayhibin sa'haron, when you were traveling, not just when they camped with the presence of the Shechimna among them, but when they were devoted to following after HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as he led them through the desert, they were focused on the fact that we want to go where he wants us to be. Am Yisrael and Aliyah Laregel were traveling to their destination, to the closeness, to the experience that they wanted, and that was what they were supposed to do. This is... Why he expressed his mourning over the Khorban in the shoes. The Jewish people are travelers. We started off with Avramovinu, whose first message from HaKadosh Baruch was Lef Lecha. Go and a very special Lecha for you, for your destiny, for where you're supposed to be. The Medrash speaks about the connection between the word Eicha and its connection to that very pained question that Hashem asked Adam HaRishon after that first sin, Ayecha, where are you? Eicha is when we lose our path, is when we don't know where we're going. We say, how could this happen? We've lost connection to our destination. We don't know. And yet, even in the exile, even in the galut, Am Israel simply recalculates, just like your GPS when you took a wrong turn. You recalculate, and you're connecting again. Jews do an interesting thing. They do lots of interesting things. One is this idea of trying to point towards Israel, Yen the Beit HaMikda, Shalom Da'af. Okay, some people think that that's just some kind of nostalgia, Right, that on St. Patrick's Day some people will turn toward Ireland before they have their beer or something like that. Right, what's happening is is that we're really zoning in on our, not just our past but our future, on our destination. We're travelers. The Reform movement, one of the first changes they made in the Siddur, was to remove all references to returning to Yerushalayim and to Eretz Israel, because. They said, here we're declaring that we are full German citizens. They gave us rights. We want to become part and parcel of German society. How in the world does that go together with saying, you know, it doesn't go? And they were right. It doesn't go. But that makes us who we are. That makes us the travelers who we are. And the traveling that we do is not just geographical, the traveling that we do is internal as we connect and reconnect, as we go on the path Hashem took us. When Alozio Zaira the, wore the black shoes, he was saying, the galut isn't a punishment. right? It's not like when a teacher makes a kid stand in the corner and all the kid's thinking about is, when can I get out of the corner? The galut is a tikkun. It's the way in which you can return. It's purposeful. Every aspect of it, every place the Jewish people have been, in the macro and in the micro, the experiences that we go through, all of those are the traveling. Rav Nachman of Breslov expressed it so nicely in the one-liner. He said, koma ni olecha, ni olecha la Eretz Yisrael. Wherever I go, I'm going to Eretz Israel. And that travel is something that goes beyond time and space. Right? Some people think, oh, well, that's really great for the last generation that gets to reach the goal line and get to Eretz Yisrael. What about all those centuries of Jews who were walking toward Eretz Yisrael never got there? They're still walking. They walk with us. We carry them with us. And those souls will join us at that time as well. A friend of mine said a very powerful thought. One of the most famous songs that came out of the Holocaust was a nigun fa'ani Mamin that was composed on a train heading to a concentration camp by a ma'jitz and he asked people on the train if anybody would escape to go bring it to his rebbe who would escape to America and he did. So my friend said, he said, wait a second. He wasn't foolish. He wasn't naive. He knew where he was going. He said, meaning, okay, there's still an off chance that when we pull up to Auschwitz, Mashiach is going to come down in some kind of flaming chariot, toss all the Nazis into the oven and lead us to Eretz It could be. But is that the only thing which is causing him to sing Animami? No. He knew that even Auschwitz was only a station on a road that goes further. All of us are always traveling toward the Gulu. All of us are always traveling towards Eretz Yisrael, toward the rebuilt base Amikdosh, And nobody and nothing can take that from us. Even such a stop that seems to us so permanent as death is only just another stop on the way. That's the ultimate state of our travel. Okay, so now let's try to see how we implement this. The purpose of Tisha on one hand is to feel the pain of what we're missing. And we only feel the pain of what we're missing when we have the sense of what can be and what should be. That pain awakens us, motivates us. It doesn't depress us. It's not supposed to be there in a way that gets us to regret our Judaism, to bemoan our lot as Jews of the suffering that's there, but to realize that we're on a journey that we should and be able to complete. There was an interesting little management book that was popular a bunch of years ago. I don't like reading management books, but this one was really short. It was called, I think, The 10-Minute the Manager, right? That was why. And he had these interesting little quips. So an employee comes over to this great manager, and he says, I have a problem. He says, no, you don't. He says, why don't I? He says, you don't have a problem. You have a complaint. He says, because a problem is when you're in point A, and you want to get to point B. I have a problem. How do I get from point A to point B? But if you're just quetching about point A, you don't have a problem. You have a complaint. Jews don't quetch. I know we're stereotyped to be quetchers. We don't quetch. Okay, we've got a problem. Now we do have. It's been going on for a bunch of thousands of years, which is, how do we get from that point A to point B? Right, how do we get there? And we're always working on it, and we're always getting there. That's who we are and how we're doing it. Rabbi Shapira, just, he said it so beautifully. He says that the car is that we must be bader. He says we must be those travelers. He says all our ability to connect with that future is if we understand that we're travelers. We're not the wandering Jew. We're not the rejected Jew. We're a Jew who even in the marketplace in Bovel, as he's walking to do his shopping, is walking towards... Eretz Yisrael, and towards the Ge'ula. A couple of stories, just to try and uh, illustrate. The Bova Rebbe, who was just a few days ago, with Shlomo so he and his father, Ben-Zion both had to try to evade the Nazis and did a lot of work helping Jewish children, especially, escape from one country to another. and. Um, there was there was one very strange story that happened before the war. I read it, I wish I would have saved this story. It was someone he was not a Bobaver Chassid, but he came to see or Ben Sin the Bum of Rebbe in Galicia, and he came in, he was uh, I think a German Jew and he had a nice walking stick. And the Rebbe said to him, Let's switch walking sticks. The Rebbe had a very nice one also. Seemed a little strange to him, he said, Okay. That German Jew, he made it out, and he ended up in America. Then Ben-Zilin Albushtam's son, Shlomo Albushtam, eventually escaped, eventually got papers, eventually came to America. When the ship pulled in to the harbor in New York, that German Jew was waiting for him. He said, here's your father's walking stick. I have a tr- and the Rebbe said that gave him so much strength. It seems like a small thing, but he felt that that was his sign that he was to keep walking, and to build and to rebuild, and to go. That was the greatest gift that he was able to have. There's another story about him. He was in a, a bunker in the war, together with other Jews and. Um, Again, it was horribly cramped, and they had a little opening they could open for oxygen. But when they got word or heard sounds that might mean the Nazis were searching, they closed that hole. And at one point, they kept it closed for a long time, and they felt the oxygen disappearing. And the Rebbe said at that point, like, different people started making these different promises, which were very, not very realistic. If I get out of here, I'm going to give a million dollars, whatever it is. He said, if I get out of here, even though the custom in Bobov is not for the Rebbe to eat in Lava Malka together with the Hasidim, I'm going to eat in Lava Malka with the Hasidim together. And they looked at him like, the Rebbe, the Hasidim were all dead. Right? What, what Lava Malka are you having? Where? He was traveling. He was in a stop that was a bunker, but his eyes were already there on the travel forward, on what's there. So therefore, even though we're meant to feel the pain on Tisha B'av, and there's a lot of pain to feel. As we review our past, as we look at our present, and we look to the unknown future, we have to find the energy and consolation in the fact that we are traveling on and that we will reach the destination. One last story. The Chuz of Lublin, whose Yorzai was actually on Tisha B'av. It was the great, they called him the Seer of Lublin, one of the great Rebbes of Poland. So after he passed away, his descendants divided up some of his possessions. One of his children had a few things, and he started traveling back to his home, and suddenly it started pouring rain. He had to find shelter someplace. So there was a Jew in this village who had a room that he would rent out to people. So this descendant of the Jose stayed there, and the rain kept going for two, three days. When it came time to leave, the man said, um, okay, your bill is so-and-so lodging, food, and he says, I do want to pay, just I have no cash on me. I do have some of these mementos from my father. Pick whichever one you want. So there was a clock in there. The man took the clock, and he hung it up in the guest room in his little um, house in the village. A few years later, there was a rebbe known as the, the Radishitzer Sabami Radeschitz. And he came through that town and he needed a place to sleep. And he slept in that man's guest room. And the next morning, the landlord asked him, he says, Why were you dancing all night? <laughs> okay. I don't know if the bali Musa would have said you shouldn't dance at night so they he could hear it. Anyway, he couldn't help himself. He was singing and dancing all night. So the Rebbe asked him, he says, Tell me, he says, Is that clock the clock of the Chosem Yilublin? Guy said, I don't know. He says, how did you get that clock? Tell me. So he told them when it was. He told them the person who brought it. He says, it's just as I thought. It was the clock of the Chuz. Most clocks, he says, are very sad. As they ring each hour, it's another hour since we've been Gullis. Another hour as the destruction has gone on. The Chuz's clock was different. Kept singing because we're an hour closer to the Gullumah that that's what and where we are. We need those two clocks, and one spurs the other. So this is what we have coming up, a day in which we're supposed to be energized. Judaism does not believe in a holiday that's simply supposed to make you miserable. It's not dues that we pay. It's not penance of some kind. That Okay, you know, we were bad way back then, and people get upset. I wasn't bad. I wasn't there. My great-great-great-grandfather was bad. Why do I have to fast? That's not what it's about. It's about connecting. It's about refocusing your GPS and getting ready to take your walking stick in hand and to make sure that you keep your shoes on and that you don't take your shoes off too early. Sometimes a person traveling finds a place that's comfortable and he says, I'm just going to take my shoes off here. That's a very big danger for our people. We have to remember that we need to keep the shoes on until we reach the destination. That was the message of Alazis Zaira, who was a very humble a very big person wishing all a meaningful Tisha B'Av, hopefully a Tisha B'Av that we will be able to celebrate for years and years to come. T-